In today's episode, we are going to be talking about 60 games. That's right, 6-0 games. Specifically, we're going to be revisiting the best board games of 2020. It'll be interesting to explore how my feelings have changed on these games since they first released. My name is Nick Murray, and you are listening to the Bytewing Games Podcast. As this year comes to a close, Bywing Games once again returns to our time-honored tradition of revisiting the best games from the previous year. Alright, you've caught me. We've really only done this type of thing once ever. But it's a tradition nonetheless. And when I previously revisited the best games of 2019, I discovered an undying love for some games, a rekindled passion for others, and a new perspective on many more. In an industry where we're constantly championing the latest hotness, or ogling upcoming releases immediately before condemning them to the forgotten piles of yesteryear, there is much value to be had in looking back. While I was planning to wait until December to revisit the best games of 2020, our schedule for that month is already crowded out with some exciting reveals and interesting topics. Furthermore, the following list is turning out to be pretty set in stone for me already. So, as they say, there's no time like the present. There are far too many games on this list to do a deep dive into each, but what we will do is separate these games into categories based on my personal experiences and preferences. These categories are lovers, keepers, dumpers, flingers, and seekers. I'll also be offering my quick thoughts on each game as we go. So the first category we're starting off with is lovers. These are the must-owns, can't-get-enough-ofs, top 50 games of all time candidates, going through withdrawals, if I wait too long to play it again type of games. And the first game on this list, the first lover of 2020, is Hansa Teutonica Big Box. It was my top game of 2020, and it's still going strong. We haven't even touched the expansion maps, yet the core game has revealed many interesting strategies that one can pursue. It's fascinating to see how different players approach this rock-solid Euro, and I love the challenge of finding the most optimal path to victory within these highly variable dynamics. Where many other Euros have come and gone from my collection, Hansa Teutonica remains as one of the absolute best. Next lover on this list, Eclipse, Second Dawn for the Galaxy. I still don't own a table big enough to handle this beast on its own, but fortunately, I have a second table for holding the excess components, and or friends with more furniture real estate. A while back, I shared how I had given my farewell to Scythe and replaced it with Eclipse Second Dawn. While I enjoyed Scythe in its prime, I still don't regret that decision. For me, Eclipse provides a similarly epic experience, but with even more bitey gameplay. Third lover, Root the Underworld Expansion. Root expansions have to be the most exciting expansions in all of board gamedom. Not only are you getting more variety to add to a beloved design, but you are literally broadening the root universe with more whimsical woodland animal factions. Every new faction is a joy to explore, and the fresh interactions between increasing combinations of matchups means that I'll never grow tired of this system. The underground duchy of moles and the corvid conspiracy of crows are both delightfully fun to play with. The two new maps in this box are simply icing on the cake. Next lover is My City. We all knew it would be here. My City is Reiner Knizia's take on legacy games, and I still maintain that it is the best in this genre. 
While it's full of surprises and plot twists, as any legacy game should be, these surprises and twists are less thematic and more mechanical. Yet this is one of the few legacy games that never grew tiresome or unwieldy throughout the evolving chapters. In my podcast interview with Dr. Kinesia, he teased a follow-up to this mega-hit polyomino game, but he also promised that it would be something new and different. We're on pins and needles to see what Reiner and Cosmos cook up for us next. Next on the list is Undaunted North Africa. I unintentionally took a 10-month break from the Undaunted series after dabbling in the first few scenarios of North Africa. But to its credit, when I finally returned for more sessions, I found this game had not lost any of its luster. Undaunted continues to sit on the throne of my favorite deck-building games. While many are elegant, few are as tense as Undaunted. Next up, Tournament at Avalon. There's nothing like a zesty card game that makes me giddy with delight. And while I've always had a soft spot for solid trick takers, Tournament at Avalon would be in the S tier of my trick taker hierarchy. This design brings to the forefront many of my favorite aspects of playing cards with friends, namely craftiness, savagery, and banter. Moving on, let's talk about Sidereal Confluence Remastered Edition. Maybe I'm cheating by including remastered games like this on my list, but then again, I may have never given Sidereal Confluence a shot. If Quan Chi Moria's infinitely superior new box art and the more approachable graphic design wasn't there to welcome me in in 2020. Would have been a shame too. Sidereal Confluence remains one of my absolute favorite games of all time. Anybody want to come over and trade cubes? Next lover is Renature. Renature is, in my opinion, design team Kramer and Kiesling at their best. You have a streamlined area control game with clever opportunities for surprising brutality. Plus it uses chunky dominoes with lovely animals on them. What's not the like here? People tell me Mexica is better, but does Mexica have savage neutral figures that you can use to destroy your opponents? I think not. Another lover of 2020 is undoubtedly Beyond the Sun. If we're only counting entirely new designs from last year, then Beyond the Sun is unquestionably the best Euro of 2020, and arguably the best Euro in years. No surprise then that it ended up on our 2021 Holiday Board Game Gift Guide. While many designs have tried, this is a game that understands how to feed our insatiable addiction to engine building. It's not enough to simply earn increasingly more stuff and spend it on increasingly more points. Beyond the Sun provides dynamic strategies, thrilling paths, and weighty decisions in spades. And while Beyond the Sun is a sprawling one, another lover of mine is a tiny little box called Durian. Sometimes the best game for an occasion is one that comes in a small box with a dead simple rule set. Durian makes the most of its small size and then some. Most importantly, it evokes the thrilling feeling of calling your grumpy gorilla boss by ringing a tiny bell and hoping that he gets angry at your coworker rather than yourself. Second to last lover here, New York Zoo. This game is like joy in a box. A zoo mat for each player, green polyomino enclosure tiles and bonus amusement tiles galore, and a tray full of colorful, horny animals. Beyond Rosenberg's trademark tile and breeding mechanics, the feature that really makes this game sing for me is the complete absence of points and the pure race to fill your zoo board first. Finally, the last lover on this list is Regicide. This is one game that I only recently encountered, but it's already a lover in my book. Regicide has none of the fuss of many cooperative dungeon crawling games, yet it manages to pack a punch with merely a standard deck of cards. 
It's so good that I've seen it spread like wildfire at a gaming venue when I introduced it to one stranger and merely an hour later he had scrounged up his own deck of cards and was showing it to his buddies. Those were the lovers of 2020 for me. Now on to the Keepers. Keepers are the solid games that have survived many purges over the past year. I would be sad to see any of these go, but I don't need to bring them to the table constantly either. First 2020 keeper in my collection is Downforce Wild Ride. The maps in this expansion reignited my interest in Downforce. It's been too long since our first play, but I remember it being a competitive and exciting race. The animals on one map and jumps on the other shake up the formula while retaining the strengths of Downforce. Second keeper, Curious Cargo. I don't often do full-fledged reviews of board games, but I did make an exception for Curious Cargo. That's because at the time, I felt the game wasn't getting as much love as it deserved. I fully acknowledge that this one isn't for everyone. Yet for those who possess the acquired taste of punishing spatial puzzles, Curious Cargo is crunchy, exciting, and deep. The production is top-notch as well. I still won't hesitate to play it again and again, as long as I know that my opponent is up to the challenge. Next keeper, The Search for Planet X. After being the winner in my first play of this ever, I'm currently on a losing streak to my wife in the search for Planet X. Lost by one point last game, and it was both devastatingly painful and deliciously fun. Better yet, we still haven't even tried the advanced side of the board. For those who love deduction games, this one continues to be among the cream of the crop. Next keeper, Super Skill Pinball Forcade. We've gotten nine good plays out of Super Skill Pinball, and the sequel, called Ramp It Up, is right around the corner. This one is a great couples game where the table is free of conflicts and packed with combos. Where many other rolling rights have left our collection and passed on into the next life, Super Skill Pinball still lives on. Next keeper, Scapegoat. What an amusing little game, that Scapegoat. I'm still charmed by this small box despite its lackadaisical production. The twist that it offers within the social deduction genre is one that makes me hungry to try it again, especially thanks to its lightning quick playtime. Another keeper, The King is Dead 2nd Edition. Here lies another excellent gem that I've neglected far too much. Before I moved to Arizona, our gaming group had Pax Pamir on frequent rotation, and the similarities between these two designs is likely what kept me from breaking it out more often. But now, I think my gaming environment is perfect for really digging in to The King is Dead. Of all the games in this category, I think this one has great potential to upgrade to a lover over time. I'm also eager to explore the other offerings from designer Pierre Sylvester. I actually pre-ordered his game Brian Baru, which just barely released to retail, so hopefully that arrives sooner than later. Next keeper in my collection, Ride the Rails. I thought Ride the Rails was the most gentle of all the Cube Rails games I had ever played, but it turns out I just needed to play it with evil gamers. There are plenty of opportunities to stab each other in the back here. Despite these games having a tendency for requiring obnoxious amounts of bookkeeping, I'll rarely pass up the chance to play a solid Cube Rails game like this. Now for another game that is one of our stocking stuffer recommendations from our holiday gift guide, Shotten Totten 2. Now after dabbling in Rift Force for a few plays, we recently came back to the old reliable Shotten Totten, although this newer sequel provides some interesting asymmetric twists. Regardless, our recent play of Shotten Totten 2, this was a week or two ago, so soon after Rift Force, revealed a stark contrast between the two games. Where Rift Force left me hungry for a dynamic game arc, Shotten Totten 2 fed me in spades. This is an excellent card game, and probably another one that could make it onto my lover's list. Next game of my keepers, Under Falling Skies. 
I don't solo game often, but when I do, it's under falling skies. I finally started the campaign recently, and it's been a pleasure to face new challenges with interesting advantages and disadvantages unique to each scenario. Plus, those spaceship tokens are pretty rad, too. Next keeper, Iwari. Iwari is somehow both more abstract feeling, yet more beautiful, than all the other abstract games in my collection. While I'm still more likely to break out an equally simple, yet more tense strategy game, like Through the Desert or Samurai, I'm still keeping this one around to enjoy every now and then. And finally, last keeper on my list, Nadavalier and Nadavalier Thingvalier. When Nadavalier first hit tables, it seemed like everyone was gushing about the game as though it were the greatest thing since buttered popcorn. So, is it still great? Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> Thingvalier, the expansion, makes it even better by enticing you with extra tasty reasons to try and win a bid even when the tavern options of a round are bland and samey. Those were my keepers for 2020. Now on to the dumpers. Some of these games made me question my life decisions. Others simply made me wish I was playing something else. None are welcome back at my table. So long and good riddance. May you find a better home, dear games. First dumper on my list was Santa Monica. I was quite interested to try Santa Monica thanks to the warm, charming artwork and presentation. But this small game in a giant box full of air was a bit of a foreshadowing to the gameplay itself. I just couldn't find enough interaction or challenge here to keep me engaged. Next dumper, Stellar. We already have an entire shelf crammed with juicy small box two-player games. So to be fair, Stellar had big shoes to fill straight from the get-go. But like a bland roast dinner, it had plenty of mathy protein, yet it lacked a flavorful personality. Next dumper was Mountain Goats. I do enjoy the premise of King of the Hill. While Mountain Goats was certainly an amusing filler game, I struggled to grasp onto anything here that would make me want to return for more. You just roll the move, decide how to combine your dice, and collect some points. End of story. Next dumper from my collection was Cloud Age. I'll be honest, I think Cloud Age left a really sour taste in my mouth for new Alexander Pfister games. His latest release, Boon Lake, could be the greatest thing ever, but it's going to take a lot and I mean a lot of high praise from a lot of different people to convince me to even try it. Even then, I'm getting a bit tired of the same old formula of roaming workers, track advancement, and contract fulfillment that seem to make up every big box fister game. Great Western Trail did it best, and every game since has felt like a generic knockoff. Maracaibo's pretty good, but I still prefer Great Western Trail. Next dumper from my collection, and this one was dumped pretty quickly, Dice Throne Adventures and Dice Throne Season 1 Rerolled. Before playing Dice Throne Adventures, I owned everything Dice Throne. Since playing Adventures, I own nothing Dice Throne. I still think this cooperative, dungeon-crawling expansion amplified the worst parts of the system by reducing player engagement and slowing down the action. But even when Dice Throne was at its best, I eventually realized that other dueling games pack a bigger punch without the excess baggage of the volatile Yahtzee mechanism. Another dumper from my collection, GPS. GPS is an interesting example of where even good intentions can still result in a worse re-implementation. While it is based on an older filler game, Finito, and it offers a far more attractive presentation, GPS fumbles its source material with an extremely problematic production. You have satellite tokens that are too wide and fiddly to fit onto their spaces outside of the circular board. And the spinner merely feeds this flaming problem by constantly shifting the board spaces away from those satellites. 
there is perhaps no worse emotion that a new game can evoke from me than constant, unending irritation. Second to last dumper here, Rajas of the Ganges, the Dice Charmers. Rajas of the Dice Charmers, to me, represents the epitome of the role and ratification pandemic that has plagued our industry for several years now. Just because you can turn a board game into a roll and write spinoff doesn't mean you should. Not only is this game merely a watered-down version of Rajas of the Ganges, but it's also nearly as long and complicated as the actual big box game. Seriously, I looked this up. Both rulebooks are 12 pages long. The Dice Charmers rulebook is a bit smaller in size, I'll give it that. But come on. <laughs> what is this game? Why does it exist? I don't know. I'm just glad I don't have to play it anymore. Finally, last dumper from my collection, The Shores of Triple E. Speaking of games that are overshadowed by similar options, I just couldn't get excited about The Shores of Triple E when Watergate scratches a similar itch with a much clearer rulebook and more satisfying experience. This title provided me with a light, luck-driven, on-the-rails wargame experience, yet it delivered that experience through a convoluted rulebook. That's a double whammy for me. But in all fairness, Kyle did a recent video review of The Shores of Triple E on our Bytewing Games YouTube channel, and he had much more positive things to say about it. So I do think this game is a good fit for certain people. Those are my dumpers of 2020. Now onto the flingers. Do you like to dabble? I dabble from time to time. These games were amusing to try. Didn't love them. Didn't hate them. And sure, I'd play them again, given the right mood and circumstance. First flinger of 2020, Unmatched Jurassic Park and Unmatched Cobble and Fog. I would rank both of these sets highly on the unmatched spectrum of offerings. We had good fun trying out these characters, yet the unmatched system never quite delivered a filling meal of a two-player gaming experience. My collection has simply grown to the point where the bar rose too high for me to justify keeping unmatched around this year. Another flinger, Loot of Lima. I tried to give Loot of Lima another play, I really did, but I only played this one time ever. The thing is, pure deduction games have proven to be a niche interest among my gaming friends, and this one is so fragile that it requires a sub-niche of individuals to really have a chance of succeeding. With the release of the far more stable Search for Planet X, and still having the similarly solid Cryptid around, I lost any reason to keep or play Ludolima again. Another flinger that came and left from my collection, but I enjoyed while I was here, Rococo Deluxe Edition. Rococo Deluxe Edition is good stuff! But is it over $100 good? Now, Ian O'Toole's art and graphic design here is top-notch, no doubt about that. There are just far too many other Euros that are more affordable, dynamic, addictive, and unique for me to have justified keeping this one around. But I would be happy to play it again if given the chance. Another fun flinger, Spicy. Spicy reminds me of fond memories of playing BS with family growing up. I don't even remember the rules to BS but I do recall the moment of calling out another player for their filthy lies and then discovering to your dismay that they were telling the truth all along. I love the look of this deck of cards and enjoy the simple gameplay it provided, but my heart still lies with two other bluffing games, specifically Skull and Soda Smugglers. Next flinger, King of Tokyo Dark Edition. I do think King of Tokyo Dark Edition improves on the original game with a lavish production and some minor rules changes. But at this point, I'm really feeling burned out on King of Tokyo and Yahtzee-style games in general. As I mentioned, I got rid of all of Dice Throne. <laughs> Here's a question. How many versions, bundles, 
expansions, and promos of King of Tokyo are there now? Too many, probably. But I suppose it's merely falling in line with the bloated monster movie universe that exists. You know what I'm talking about? There's Godzilla, and King Kong, and Godzilla vs. Kong, and soon Kongzilla, Revenge of the God King. Speaking of movies, I finally watched the new Dune movie last week. And I must say, my appreciation for the IP has skyrocketed. That movie was phenomenal. Does it make me want to give Dune Imperium another shot? Eh, I suppose it would be good fun. I just failed to see what elevates this experience above its flaws. I still prefer Undaunted and the Quest for Eldorado for the tighter experiences that these deck builder hybrids provide. Another flinger, Oceans. Wow, it seems like it was ages ago when I was playing Oceans. Truly another lifetime from this one. Thanks for that, COVID. I really enjoyed my first play of Oceans and the tactical fishy combos of species you can create. But during our second play, the ugly downtime reared its head, and suddenly I wasn't so enthusiastic. (laughs) Speaking of downtime, I still get a kick out of the Kickstarter edition of Oceans, offering the opportunity for up to six players to play. That sounds truly horrendous. I recommend you stick to about three players with this one. (laughs) Another flinger, Animal Kingdoms. We enjoyed trying a late prototype of Animal Kingdoms at Origins 2019. That was also ages ago. (laughs) Steven Aramini has made some solid designs, and this is another one of those. With a light area majority mixed with hand management featuring colorful cards, I was quite charmed by this game. But I later read many complaints about the final production quality of the cards and components, so I suppose that scared me off from ever picking up a copy of Animal Kingdoms. Another flinger, Calico. Calico makes a great first impression, but it didn't have the legs to last beyond a few plays for us. The noticeable lack of player interaction and the tight restrictions to luck of the drafting options meant that I was quickly banging my head on the skill ceiling while feeling crammed inside an optimal strategy cage. But at least it's a cage full of cozy cats and blankets, right? Another flinger we played several times, Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. From a publishing standpoint, I still find Jaws of the Lion to be extremely impressive. The fact that they crammed a sprawling, complicated dungeon crawler campaign into a box offering that can sit on target shelves is a modern day miracle. But the first several scenarios we tried were hit or miss. And we just never escaped the feeling that all this ambitious campaigning felt more like work than fun. Now, if Gloomhaven was the meatiest flinger of 2020, then Sequoia is probably the smallest of the bunch. I found Sequoia to be the best of the small box offerings from publisher Board Game Tables, which is why it sneaked its way onto my flingers list away from its dumper siblings, GPS and Mountain Goats. Sequoia feels like the most interactive and competitive of this collection by a long shot. But my loyalties to Sequoia were cut short when the more enticing opportunity to sell the entire collection arose. It's hard to regret booting Sequoia from my collection when I have so many other filler games that provide more flavorful experiences. Another fine flinger, Pendulum. Pendulum suffers from the same feature that nearly all Stonemaier games have, namely low player influence and interaction. I say feature because I'm well aware that many gamers prefer this style of play, but at least Pendulum does it with style. The use of sand timers as a resource slash obstacle that players must plan around makes for a novel experience. But take away that novelty and you're left with a ho-hum engine builder with a short shelf life. Next game on this list, Pan Am. I think Pan Am is one of the better offerings from the faceless design team known as Prospero Hall. It's an engaging mix of worker placement, auctions, and economic gameplay wrapped in a crisp theme and presentation. Unfortunately, it's the game length that keeps me from loving it. 
The pacing was too slow, and the playtime far exceeded the promised 60 minutes on the box. Next up, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Arnak, like Dune Imperium, is another mega hit in the industry that didn't fully click with me. There are plenty of options out there that provide an equally crunchy game in a pleasant production. For me, Arnak lacks that special something to really make it stand out. I don't care if you mix two beloved mechanisms together in a trendy new way. Give me memorable tension to the decisions, or some reasons to care about what my opponents are up to. Arnak gave me neither of those, so it was fine, but I certainly don't need to play it more. Another one that I would be more open to playing more, Smartphone Inc. Smartphone Inc. is a great game wrapped in a repelling package. A big reason why I love tabletop games is that they provide an escape from social media and smartphone culture. Smartphone Inc. is that strange enigma that feeds me tasty gameplay while shoving that unappetizing culture right back into my face again. This is one of the few games where I actively dislike the theme, and that's probably the only thing that's keeping me from being tempted to buy this, because it is great. This next one might be a shocker to some of you, Cosmic Frog. I've always enjoyed this game in theory, but I'm beginning to be worn down by the execution of Cosmic Frog. It's a genuine pain to teach, and that chore continues deep into the game session itself. This really happened with my last play of Cosmic Frog. New players get tripped up by the ability cards, terminology, and rules exceptions. Turns often feel too few and far between. Playtime duration rarely hits the sweet spot. Combat often brings the game pace to a screeching halt. One or more players get hosed for two plus hours of endless curb stomping. Setup and teardown add insult to injury. I'm at the point now where I would still happily try Cosmic Frog with a group of fast, experienced players. But it's unlikely I'll ever encounter such an opportunity, and I'm too burnt out to try it with anyone else. Here's another game that I would not have predicted to be a flinger a year ago. Fort. I already shared how Fort has recently taken a nosedive in my enthusiasm for it. That was just in the last podcast episode. In fact, I now no longer own the game. But I do still own the t-shirt. Even more this past week. Leader Games makes a great t-shirt, people. Another flinger that recently left my collection, The Red Cathedral. The Red Cathedral is one of many euros that is solid enough for me to enjoy playing, but lacking enough for me to justify keeping. See also Rococo, Rajas of the Ganges, I'm talking about the big box game here, <laughs> Kalimala, Bruxelles, 1897, Puerto Rico, and so on. The world of Euros is a crowded space, my friends, and only the strongest can survive in my collection. Finally, last flinger on this list, Anno 1800. I could say the same thing about Anno 1800 as I just said about Red Cathedral. Actually, I haven't even shared my first impressions of Anno 1800 yet. That'll be coming next episode, but here's a teaser for now. Call me crazy, but my experience with Anno 1800 compares most closely to budgeting and accounting. (laughs) It's long and tedious, yet somehow gives you a satisfying sensation at the end of it all. I just don't know if my enjoyment from the economic engine building outweighs the feeling of work. And finally, we're on to the last category of the best games of 2020, The Seekers. I'm still open to trying out these leftover games. I've heard good things about them here and there. Of course, I've now had over a year to find and play them, so I'm obviously not that desperate, although some are much harder to track down than others. First seeker that I'd be happy to try, Forgotten Waters. Forgotten Waters seems like a real hoot of a time. I've heard a lot of great things about this silly, semi-cooperative, story-driven pirate game. 
I just can't seem to get past that $60 price tag and requirement for several regular gamers to power through the campaign. Another seeker, Isle of Cats. Now, this game says it's a 2019 release on BoardGameGeek, but in reality, it didn't hit stores until February of 2020. I only know that because I was interviewing at a dental office in February of 2020 in Nevada, and I did hit up a game store while I was there, and they had just barely received Kickstarter editions of the Isle of Cats. I still haven't tried this game because it currently straddles that fence where I think I'll enjoy it, but my hunch is that I won't love it. Now, if someone offers to teach me Isle of Cats, then I'm all for it. Next seeker, Sonora. Replace Roll and Write with Flick and Write and you suddenly have my interest. I think I'd find Sonora to be quite amusing, where you just flick your little discs onto this board in the box, and then you record where it lands, and your Roll and Write sheet. That sounds pretty cool. I just don't trust at all that it would hold up over repeated plays. Next seeker, The Castles of Tuscany. Castles of Tuscany looks like a very accessible Euro with enough meat on the bone to satisfy more seasoned gamers. I've even heard that some prefer this one to Burgundy due to the absence of dice. But in any case, I'd love to give this a try. It's certainly more vibrant looking than our copy of the Castles of Burgundy. Another seeker on the list, Hallertau. I recently had a heart-to-heart with Uwe Rosenberg's big box games after trying out Nusfjord. Hallertau is another one of those games that I'm sure I'd enjoy. But in reality, it stands in a long line behind my need to replay Agricola, A Feast for Odin, and La Harve, just to name a few. I'd rather dive deeper into those before dipping my toes in Hallertau. Next seeker on the list, Gods Love Dinosaurs. So Very Wrong About Games, it's a great podcast, you should check them out, has a strong enthusiasm for Gods Love Dinosaurs that tells me that this one is at least worth a try. Perhaps with time, a copy of the game, and an open mind, we may find that I too love dinosaurs. But one thing's for sure, if anybody loves dinosaurs, it's the publisher, Pandasaurs Games. Next seeker, 18 Chesapeake. Now, 18xx games seem to be a very polarizing genre, and I'm still not sure where I would land on them, but I hear 18 Chesapeake is a decent starting point. I do enjoy myself a good train game, but I can't be buying and playing this game. I'm still just trying to find local folks to play Age of Steam with me. That's one of my favorite games. Come on, people. Ooh, here's another interesting seeker, Paleo. Paleo seems like a unique take on cooperative games that forces players to rely on memory, learning, and each other to succeed. Having won the Kinderspiel des Jahres this year, I'd be foolish to not at least take notice of this Stone Age game. But am I going to throw down money on it? Ugh, I don't know. <laughs> here's a seeker that I actually did throw down money on, Micro Macro Crime City. And it's another award winner. Micro Macro won the Spiel des Jahres, and the only reason I haven't played it yet is because it's been perpetually out of stock online. But worry not, this one is traveling to my home in a cardboard box as I speak. I'm looking forward to solving mysteries in this Where's Waldo style world. And here's the very last game of this entire list, and it's the final seeker, Nova Luna. If I didn't already own Patchwork, I would probably have tried Nova Luna by now. Uwe's Rondell drafting has always proven to be excellent from my experience. So I don't see how this would be any different. My only hang-up is that this may feel too similar to Patchwork and make me wonder why I didn't just save money and keep enjoying Patchwork instead. Well, there you have it. 60 games, 60 2020 releases. Some of the best games of 2020 that we just revisited and categorized after having much more time to explore them. Now that I think of it, this may be one of the best ways to measure my personal taste in board games. You get a wide swath of games that many of you have probably tried or been interested in, and then you see how they shake out at my table. 
Anyway, I'll be back in two weeks to share my first impressions of more juicy new board games. In the meantime, to those of you who are also in the U.S. like me, happy Thanksgiving. My name is Nick Murray, and you've been listening to the Bytewing Games Podcast. <laughs>